Welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. Welcome to, back to the CCF podcast. Today we're going to be continuing our For Everyone series by finishing up the Sermon on the Mount and talking about Matthew chapter 7. So let's just go ahead and roll into the text here. Uh, this first passage is from verse, uh, is verses 1 through 6 of Matthew 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. I'm actually going to begin with the end of this passage, verse 6, um, just for an analysis standpoint. And it, I think it's significant because we may not recognize what's going on here linguistically, but the terminology here of referring to uh, referencing dogs and pigs is actually something that in at this point in time in Judaism would have been terminology that's used uh specifically and almost exclusively of, of Gentiles. And so there's actually a metaphorical reference here to, to Gentiles, to, to non-Jews. Now, I, I do want to say that like we hear the idea of calling another human being a dog or a pig, and we think that's pretty harsh, and that's not really something that I would think Jesus would do. But there's not quite the stigma uh, back then of using that terminology of Gentiles. It's just kind of common parlance, and there's actually an interaction that happens later between Jesus and a, and a Syrophoenician woman who is would be a Gentile, and uh, they, they reference dogs, and, and she actually is like, doesn't bat an eye about the fact that she's essentially being called a dog, like not directly, but kind of indirectly, and, and she just kind of rolls with it and uses that terminology back at Jesus, and, and so we kind of see a little bit from that interaction that, that Gentiles, it's something you would have been familiar with, and and... So it doesn't quite carry the same kind of stigma than than if we were to call someone a dog or a pig um, today. So that's that's the first thing. We, we're, we've got a passage, we've got a verse here that's referring to how, uh, how you should treat Gentiles. And then the other piece, uh, so it says, do not give dogs what is sacred. So don't give a Gentile what is sacred. Um, and it says, do not throw your pearls to pigs. And that's another one that seems weird until you know that and hear that that pearls is a way that rabbis would refer to wisdom or, or teaching, um, their own teaching or, or the teaching of other rabbis. Um, so it, it's kind of basically saying that like that things that are sacred, things that are that are your teaching, you shouldn't be giving that to Gentiles. And and I think you rightfully it should react to that um chances are if you're listening to this that you are in fact a gentile um because you're probably not jewish and it sounds like jesus here is saying like hey don't bother with gentiles don't waste your time on them don't try to teach them anything um but i think the significance here is is remembering what it means to be under the law or not under the law what it means to be jewish versus what it means to be gentile and so essentially what what jesus is saying here is that your your morality the the teachings the things that you know about the law don't expect them to have carry any weight with someone who is not 
under the law, who doesn't have that same set of beliefs as you, who who hasn't committed themselves to following God. So essentially, if we were to take this in our in a, in a modern Christian context, it's saying, hey, Christians, don't go out and expect non-Christians to follow the same kind of moral code that you do. And don't try to legislate and force them into your own moral code because they haven't agreed to follow that. They haven't become a Christian. They haven't become a believer. They're not someone who's trying to follow Jesus. So saying, hey, you're not following Jesus and you need to act better. It's just going to end up making you look bad. It's going to make you look like a jerk. They're probably going to like be upset at you. And it's not going to further the opportunity to actually give them the right kind of message about Jesus if you're too busy saying that you need to follow this moral code. They're not going to listen to you. And, and I think that's a significant thing for us to maybe pay attention to in our modern climate. Jesus is saying, don't be trying to force believers to follow your morality. You need to introduce them to, to God first. And they have to agree to be following God before you can start talking about morality. And so this makes sense for this passage to this verse to come on the passage that's talking about judgment and judging others. And then so you got the whole metaphor there about the plank and the sawdust. And um, there's some good things there, but I, I think that one's a little bit more easily understood by us. So just, you know, take Jesus' words there, pay attention to them. Let's get back to the very first part of this section where he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, First of all, we I think we have to just cl- try to clear up some misunderstandings because people will sometimes try to take this as a blanket statement that any kind of judging a Christian should not be doing. But there's types of judgment that we're totally allowed to do and that are totally okay. Like there's the civil type of judgment, which is essentially what happens in a court. And if you were to say that do not judge means that we can't do civil judgment. That means that no Christian sh- should be serving as a judge. And that's something that we can't allow ourselves to do. But I, I don't believe Jesus excludes that from happening. I think that would be pretty well spelled out at some point in time in the New Testament if we're not allowed to be judges in a, in a civil courtroom sense. So I, I think we can take away, it's not that kind of judgment that's being talked about. There's another kind of judgment that's um, like discernment, judging whether something is good or bad. And, and this is like to the extent that it's just good or bad for you, I think we can judge that if, if something is, is righteous or unrighteous, if something there's something that we should be doing or we shouldn't be doing, we're allowed to make those judgments and those kind of choices and, and listen and, and pay attention to that. There's also judgment about um, other people and the ways that they're living their lives. And, and this is sometimes the one that I think people are saying, well, you can't judge me. I get to do whatever I want. If you have the right relationship with someone and it's someone you care about, um, not calling them out for destructive behavior, uh, I, I think it shows that you don't really care for them. And Jesus wants us to care for people. He wants us to love everyone. And sometimes loving someone means telling them, hey, you're doing this wrong thing and it's messing up your life and you need to stop. Uh, now, it's important that you know you've got the right kind of relationship to call somebody out on that. But I think we're allowed to call people out for, for right behavior or for wrong behavior, uh, uh, assuming, again, we, we keep it in mind that that pearls to pigs and and dogs what a sacred thing we're not trying to hold them to our moral code if they have not ascribed to be under that moral code if they're not following jesus we can't say you got to do these things that a jesus follower would do 
If they are following Jesus and we see them in those lives, I think absolutely we should tell them, hey, that's not what a Jesus follower is supposed to look like. Do this instead of that. So those are the kind of so those are two types of judgment that I think we're allowed to do. But the third type of judgment is about discerning the value of someone. And that is something that I, that I believe is it's fully restricted to, to God. God is the one that does that kind of judgment that sees and, and discerns people's value. And so we, we, we can't say that someone is less than us, that someone's not worth our, our time or not worth anything. Uh, we can't devalue people. That's what it says to not judge we should not be devaluing other people. And, and I think this is significant because, it, again, in this passage, the thing that he references are, are Gentiles. And probably from a Jewish mindset, if there's any group that is devalued the most consistently, and it's the group of Gentiles. And so I think here Jesus is kind of subtly tying these concepts together to, to let the Jewish audience know that they can't be devaluing Gentiles because they're not you know, God's called out people and that they shouldn't be ignoring them or forgetting about them or, or despising them or trying to hold them to a set of standards that they haven't ascribed themselves to. We don't get to call out the value or say that there's less value or no value to non-believers. That's what it means when he says, do not judge. But see, the thing about the Sermon on the Mount is it kind of flows from passage to passage to passage. And, and, I, and I think that Matthew, when he put this all together, he was trying to make connections and, and say things about the previous sections using the next sections and saying things from, you know, it's all connected. And, and the things that have been talked about right before this thing about judgment is, is, is worry and, and forgiveness and, and generosity and having a good eye versus a bad eye, which a good eye is the generous eye, the bad eye is the stingy eye. And, and so how are these things connected? How does judgment connect to worry? Well, I think the opposite of judgment is forgiveness, which is a huge thing that J Jesus has been touching upon the Sermon on the Mount. Forgiveness, the Lord's Prayer, he adds in forgiveness, and he says right after he finishes that prayer, forgive, you need to forgive. Because passing judgment on someone is is akin to not forgiving someone. And and why, why is it that we would not forgive someone? Well, I think a key component of, of not being able to forgive someone is that is is worry. Is worry that someone's not gonna receive proper justice, what is viewed as the right thing to happen to them for justice to be done, that they're not gonna get what they deserve because they've done something bad and and so we choose to judge them to not forgive them and 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 take it upon ourselves to be the ones to 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 met out that punishment even though that is something that, that god is in place of and and so yeah we fear that there's going to be no justice or restitution for wrongs that have been done and so there's there's worry the next section i i think addresses that when Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Do unto others everything you would have them do unto you. You want people to be forgiving you. You want people to, to treat you right. And, and honestly, to treat you better than right. Because that's what love looks like. See, God will answer our prayers. It seems like this one is like going back to the prayer section when Jesus was talking about the Lord's Prayer. But it's put right here after this talk about judgment. And I think it's because it's a reminder that if there is injustice that's been done, if there's something that deserves some sort of restitution, that you can ask God for that. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to hold on to that, that you can forgive someone knowing that God is ultimately the one who will who will bring justice. And so you can give all that up to God instead of holding on to that worry, instead of holding on to that concern that someone's not going to get the punishment that they deserve, you can just give it up to God, who can rightly judge what kind of punishment someone will need. Um, the incredible thing, the awesome thing about God is that he knows how to extend forgiveness and grace and love in like innumerable ways and and the ways that he's try, always calling people back to him and reconciling and turning things around. It, it's just incredible. So when we give that thing up to God, um, it may not look like the kind of justice we think should be happening, but it's the right kind of justice because it's the kind of justice that tries to restore people. That's the kind of justice that God brings. That's kind of a side note, but uh, I feel like it's worth pointing out. And so that's what Jesus is, is talking about here. And, and then he, he continues on with, with some more wisdom that he provides in the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 13 to 15, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. This is one of those passages that is oftentimes used of eternal destinations that Essentially, there's all these people that are going to hell, and there's only a few select people that are going to heaven. And that's the way that this passage is taken. But the thing about it is, yes, there's a reference about a road leading to destruction, but it's never a statement of, of an eternal destination. It's never a, a statement of, of an unending punishment. Um, because you can live a destructive life now. And, and there are many people that do. They miss out on the chance to, to grab onto those things that God calls us to, the better things in life that, that, are, that are goodness and compassion and, and patience and, and, and helping others and, and being, being the right kind of person that God has created you to be, to be righteous. And there aren't many that that choose that. Jesus is essentially saying, I've given you all these things. I've given you the right way to live. I've given you the way to walk out what is God's law, but it's going to take intentionality. You've got to find this narrow gate. You've got to enter through it. You've got to follow this narrow path that it's not going to be easy. If you want the easy way, then you can just not follow this law and you can take the broad road. You can take the broad gate and and, and not worry. But it's also, it's going to lead to destruction. It's going to be not the right kind of life that God has called you to. But if you want to follow what I've instructed you, what I've given you here in this sermon, it's going to take intentionality. 
And so I think Jesus is trying to tell people here that, that you've got to be paying attention to do what is right. And, and he actually continues then in the next couple of verses because he says uh, 15 through 20 here, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. By their fruit you will recognize them. See, when we take this passage, I think we think of false teachers only in the terms of the things that they say, the things that they teach, that 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 they are preaching the wrong message, the wrong type of belief, and they're trying to lead people astray in that way. But Jesus says over and over again within this passage, it's by their fruit that you will recognize them. And and fruit always refers to people's actions what they're doing in their lives. And he says, you can have a false teacher who can say all the right things, who can be all about all the right things, but if their lives don't look like they're living the right way, the right things, if, if you don't see compassion, if you don't sh see generosity in their lives, then they're not worth your time. They're not someone that you should listen to. They're not someone you should follow. You want to follow someone who is not only saying the right things, but is also doing the right things that God has called us to do. And so within this, this whole Sermon on the Mount, he's been saying, follow me as, as I follow the law. I'm going to show you the right way to not only interpret the law, but also how to walk it out in your everyday life. You need to do these things. And he's saying false teachers are those who don't live that out who don't practice that, who don't, whose lives don't look like God has called them to because they've had no change of heart. They've just been someone who does things for a show. They've just been someone who, who thinks they have it all figured out but really has no compassion and, and no inward change, the kind of change that God wants to be doing in, in all of us. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about false teachers. And then he says in verses 21 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Uh, again, this is another thing where people will point this to an eternal destination kind of thing, but he never says the word hell here. He never says... Um, he talks about the kingdom of heaven, but we've already talked about previously how the kingdom of heaven is a present thing that's going on. When Jesus comes to earth, he ushers in the age of the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven has, has come here. And so I think what he's trying to tell people is that that intentionality piece is, is really important. That, that you can do these things, you can call on my name, you can even call me Lord. But if your lives don't look like what they're supposed to, if if you're not, if you're only doing things for a show so that people can recognize you, and you're not doing things because your heart has changed, then you're gonna miss out, and and the kingdom's not gonna come, and it's not gonna look like the way it's supposed to. I'm moving. I'm doing things. You may even recognize me as Lord, but if you're not responding in obedience to my commands. If you're not having a heart change, if you're not being intentional about living this out, then, then you're going to miss out on what I'm doing here. 
And his final metaphor, I think, where he talks about the wise and foolish builders, which I'm going to read in a second, again, talks about that intentionality of following God. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice... It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It takes intentionality to build your foundation on the rock as opposed to on the sand. You've got to be intentional about walking it out and following what Jesus has instructed. We want to be pursuing God with everything that we have, and that takes effort. And it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. I think sometimes when we read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we can kind of have a little bit of a what's called a lullaby effect. It's, it's that same song that we've heard over and over again and over and over and over again, and we know it. And so we don't really need to listen to it because we can just fall asleep because we know the song. It's soothing. It's comforting. But if you look at the Sermon on the Mount from the lens of, of the people that were hearing it for the first time, the people of of first century Israel. It's not that soothing. It's not that comforting. It's not that familiar. A lot of what Jesus said is controversial. It's revolutionary. The idea that that the law is meant to change your heart and not just dictate how you act. The idea that, that the things that you do should be changing you on the on the inside and not be about a show and not being about other people seeing and recognizing your righteous acts, but about God changing you. That we have the ability to forgive others. And it's not just God who forgives sins, but we can forgive. We can step into that place. We can join with God in forgiving people. These are revolutionary concepts that, that when people take on following Jesus, it's, it's new things that they had to be intentional about to follow. And so I think Jesus is using these metaphors to let them know, guys, this looks different. This isn't necessarily the way that you've always done it, but this is the way that God wants you to do it. This is what the law has always been about. This message is for everyone, that you don't get to devalue Gentiles. That you don't get to look at people that are outsiders, people that are not believers, and say, well, this message is only to dictate how you act, and you have to act like this to be part of God's family. No. The message is that God loves everyone, that he wants to welcome them in, and and he wants everyone to know who he is and what he's about, and he's willing to forgive, and he's willing to love, and he's willing to pour out so much for everyone. And they can join him and learn who he is. And because they've learned about his love and they've come to know him, that they choose then to dedicate their lives to him and and to start being transformed and changed from the inside so that they can look like the people that he's called them to be. 
and that people who, who don't know God can become people who so love God that they're willing to let their hearts and their lives be changed to do what he commands them to do. And that's what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth and it moves. And, and that's the kind of things that we need to be carrying forward, to be, to be sharing that message of, of how God has changed our lives and, and to be people who are so compassionate and so loving and, and so giving and generous that other people just notice a difference and say, what is that? How can I live a life like that? That's what I want to do too. I think that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about, about how God is for everyone. He loves everyone. And he wants us to enter in to that love, to know that love so that our hearts are changed and so we become his people and follow his commands. And that's what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. So listen to that Sermon on the Mount. Know that it's still controversial today, that some of those messages are hard. It takes intentionality but that we have the opportunity to live them out because we have, when we take on Christ, we have the opportunity to live that out. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. We have God championing, championing us. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we would love to get you connected.